This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Vols. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be by instant, is Lyle Fulton, and I'm here as ever with the wonderful Jackie Vors. Jackie, we are recording unusually on a Tuesday afternoon slash evening. So in an unusual change to the question, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening, Jackie? I'm really good. Really, really raring to go. Raring to go. Yeah, strange, isn't it? I'm kind of two, possibly three coffees down because of the time of day we're in and also in preparation for the fantastic guest that we're welcoming this evening to the podcast because listeners, we are joined by the brilliant Eric Cress, who's principal of the Gossamer Consulting Group. Eric, you're joining us from the States, I believe. You're joining us from over in the States? Yep, San Francisco. Fourth generation San Franciscan. So Fourth never... generation San Franciscan. Yes. There you go. Welcome, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's it's early here, but uh, I'm always up at this time where I can get the most work done. So here I am. This is the thing. I think you're the first guest joining us from across the pond, as it were. And as a really? result, the time zones are very... Well, I mean, not necessarily the first American, although it might be the first American we've had. Is that right, Jackie, on the podcast? I think it could I'm be. honoured. Oh, no, no, not at all. No. I can't remember. Because we've had Peggy Ann. <laughs> Peggy Ann's been on. Peggy Ann. Peggy she, Ann's been she on. She was coming in from Berlin. She was coming in from Berlin, so the time difference wasn't quite as stark. But honestly, we're so, so grateful for you joining us from the early time you're in currently, Eric. And like I just mentioned how I introduced you, I mean, it's kind of one facet of an introduction because I said you're the principal of Gossamer Consulting Group, but you've also done a plethora of other things throughout a wonderful career. As we do with all guests, can you tell us a little bit about what you've done? I mean, it's a very open-ended question, what you're up to at the moment. Just kick us off with a bit of an intro of your own. Sure. I mean, my whole career has been video games. So I've been doing video games for about 25 years. I've spent about half my time in industry and half my time covering video game companies for public investors like hedge funds and long onlys. Uh, I spent seven years at EA doing marketing, product management, brand management, and forecasting and finance and biz dev. And then I was at Kabam for two years where I did VP of corporate strategy. And then in between that, I was doing investment research for Bay Street Research. Currently, I'm at Gossamer Consulting and I do three or four things. One, I consult for investors like 15 clients on the hedge fund side, long only. I uh, consult for Warner Brothers doing product strategy. And then I also do the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. So I'm part of that community and I've been doing that podcast for quite a while, which I think we're going to talk about a bit later. So I think what's what's cool about what I'm doing now is I kind of have one foot in the industry and one foot in you know investment research. So it keeps me frosty as to what's going on. Oh, and then the final thing is do I, I do consult for a blockchain company called Forte, trying to understand that ridiculous world. Um, <laughs> and so I've been doing that for a little bit. So that's kind of what I'm up to now. And we have plans this year of trying to create a venture capital fund potentially with Deconstructor and, and some other things. So always doing different things to keep things interesting. You know? I mean, that's fascinating. First of all, thank you so much for breaking that all down for us. But also, I'm really intrigued. I mean, I have far be it from me to compare myself to the situation you find yourself in, but I have kind of a similar approach to work, I like to think, you know, kind of portfolio career style thing. Do you find that that's the way you've always wanted to work? Or is that kind of how you've, if you sort of stumbled into 
that kind of way of working, which is that you work in lots of different areas, or is that something you always wanted to do? I mean, I I think I get bored pretty quickly and easily on on certain things and certain roles. Like I was at like I think five different roles at EA for my seven year tenure, and I think people get frustrated with me because I do get bored and I only want to do what I want to do, and so they kind of partially because I want to move <laughs> around, but they also want to move me around. <laughs> I got a lot of feedback like that over the years. So when I started my independent research firm Gossamer about what eight years ago now. In the first two years, I realized quickly, or someone actually gave me the advice, which was sounds really basic at this point, is that you got to do multiple things. You can't just do one thing. If you just do one thing, you're going to get bored out of your mind, particularly when you work for yourself and work by yourself. So that's when I started to branch out and do more consult for you know Warner, do the investment side, do the podcast, do like different projects. I even like was a an expert witness for a Nintendo case in which we won. Someone sued Nintendo for for some <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> and one uh, based upon uh, uh, what do you call it? The uh, some patent, some patent troll beat them. Sure. But I, I was an expert witness. I'll never do that again. That was painful. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think that's my advice to anybody that starts a consulting business and tries to go independent is do different things. You cannot do one thing because you will go crazy. But also, I think in this industry, in the video games industry, there is so much opportunity to do so many things. I mean, you must get approaches all the time, Eric. How do you prioritize what you get involved in? Because seriously, I'm not anywhere near as well known as you are, but I get asked to do all sorts of things. So I'd be interested to know how you sort of decide what to do. I wish it was more of a method to the madness. I mean, I obviously have to concentrate on things that make money, right? Obviously, Deconstructor Fund, like the podcast, I make a little bit of money from that, but that's not the purpose. So the purpose of that is just to get more of my name out there and to get more recognition in the industry. And that that's it's happily done that extremely well. But other projects, like I just mentioned, you know, doing expert witness stuff, I and mean, that is a pain in the ass for me. Like yeah. I hate writing and writing is all that is about is writing these big reports. And I'm, it was just so, it was like going back to college and chewing a term paper. I mean, it was, it was horrific and uh, I'll, you know, I'll never do it again. So that, you know, there, you know, I, I excluded one thing from my repertoire, right. But trying different things like consulting for different things. I'm doing another consulting arrangement with some finance firm that's trying to finance one of the larger independent mobile game companies. So I'm going to try that and see if that's interesting. Anyway, yeah, my focus is things that make money. I mean, it's not to be so uh, gross, but uh, yeah, that sort of thing. And then things that give me benefit otherwise, you know, to help get my name out there. Yeah, that's totally fair enough. And, and I also wonder whether or not kind of a follow up to that is we've kind of spoken to a few people who have a similar kind of outlook and a similar take on this sort of thing. And, and that kind of broad space is that this is a bit of a loaded question. In fact, the more you do, the more knowledge you accrue, the more you can then bring to something new, if you like. So you've just said you're kind of going to try something out, but you're not going into it blind per se, because you've accrued so much knowledge and expertise and experience would that would that be kind of a correct assumption yeah 100 percent. and so like you know things like doing the blockchain stuff like i am not a big proponent of blockchain like i think no. it's, it's yeah i'm not I, I just don't see how it fits within the overall ecosystem but i have to learn this shit if i don't learn it then i <laughs> I, I i just I, I just won't be relevant anymore you know i'm already like what 52 or something almost and so like my relevancy is going down by the day right so i need i need to stay frosty you know <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like I always want to call this the rest is staying frosty you know, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? sort of you know kind of a break from tradition I mean I'm really a big fan of like in the acting world which is something I've been part of for years and years like it's called kind of like sort of keeping the muscle warm sort of training that muscle you know what I mean it, you know it doesn't necessarily matter what it's used for specifically as long as whatever that muscle is is constantly being trained and constantly being honed it sounds to me like that's what you're doing and it sounds to me like the deconstructor of fun podcast nice little segue there Japanese. Oh, great segue, Lyle. Segue is, is kind of like part of your track, part of like sort of the, that workout. I mean, talk us through Deconstructor of Fun, how you came to be involved. Obviously, I've listened to it many times, so has Jackie, but for others. Well, I'm a bit of a fan girl because I love Deconstructor yeah. Fun. I go to sleep with you, Eric. I listen <laughs> to Fun before I go oh, to wow. bed. <laughs> we're gonna have to I have disclosures on the web on this uh, podcast <laughs> we're already honestly Eric we're like 12 minutes in 30 minutes in we're already you know sort of two you know two or three disclosures in uh which is more than we've had already so you're, you are not letting us down but yeah talk us through how you got involved uh, involvement in that so, so yeah so quickly uh, Joseph Kim who started the podcast uh, I worked with him at Sega. I was a consultant for Sega for a while. And he reached out to me and said, hey, we should do a podcast together. And I love podcasts. And the reason I love podcasts is basically the subject of this podcast is that PR is kind of bullshit, right? You listen <laughs> and you read what's out there on the sites and it's just utter nonsense, right? But the only time you actually get truth, like I'm talking about like Kotaku, GameSpot, whatever, all those places put these things together that are completely manufactured by the publishers and whoever else wants to make the news, Right. But on podcasts, these guys actually speak truth, right? They most of the time, they, they, they can't hold back what they actually believe. And so you can glean a lot from that, right? And so anyway, I love podcasts. Joseph asked me to do it. I totally ghosted him and I felt bad about it. Not that I was that busy, but I was just more lazy than busy. And then he started the podcast with Mishka, who does who is the founder of Deconstructor of Fun. And so they did like 10 episodes. And I, I listened for a few weeks. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is terrible. You guys are horrific at this, right? You need someone to come in there and actually say something, you know, like, and, and be, you know, a little controversial, right? And so I, I joined, like, I think Twig 12 or something like that in, in October of 2018. And, I, and I've been there ever since because I think I do bring that kind of, like, energy to it and basically, you know, like, hot takes. And I think people really, really do like that sort of podcasting and that frankly is what i like about podcasting is people that have opinions right i love that i mean i love that in and of itself being a hot take as well and i love that kind of i mean confrontational is probably the wrong word but i think jackie and i have experienced probably times throughout the series i mean we're you know deconstructor of fun you've been involved with them for four years i think you mentioned something like 240 241 episodes you've been involved with yeah them. something like that. yeah 215 um, yeah 215 sorry yeah so but 215 still extraordinary like 10 times as many as we even have as a podcast series already but i don't want to speak for jackie but i know personally that i've been involved in some episodes where i've kind of started to go and then gone oh no i'm the host of the podcast what am i doing <laughs> but i suppose one of the reasons why people love the fact that you're on deconstructor of fun is that you kind of almost break through that impulse to go i'm gonna hold back and go no hang on a minute i'm on a podcast it's you know no, I don't, speech, you never so. hold back. do you find that makes people a bit scared of you eric I don't know about scared. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think they think that I'm going to be a little bit more hostile when they meet me. And when I meet people, I mean, you have to imagine most of my success has been during COVID times, right? So I actually never met anybody hardly that was listening to the podcast. So GDC last year was like the first time. And so, yeah, people were like, oh, you're a lot nicer really than I thought you'd saying? be. People are like, recognizing <laughs> you in a hotel and you're like, yeah. 
And you, but you had you had built up a fame by the time you get to Cologne this this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, that Cologne was actually really good too. I think a lot of the Europeans like what I do. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I I think people love the hot take stuff. I think they like how I participate on the podcast, and so. But I think PR scared of you. PR. Yeah, PR people. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so both Mishka and Adam Telfer had to leave the podcast because they joined Sony because Sony is like a really conservative company and their PR department won't have anything to do with them on this podcast, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, that that is true. Yeah, PR people don't want hot takes, right? And and, and they have, a, honestly, they do have a, a case, right? The reality of it is, is like someone like Bungie, right? For instance, is that's that's where uh, Adam went. Like if they actually say anything negative about a competitor, all the fanboys will go freaking apeshit, right? And and, <laughs> and and they'll be just in this like PR nightmare and Kotaku will pick it up, which is by the way, probably the worst outlet <laughs> out there definitely. these days. Are you being really good? I used to like Kotaku. I used to love them with, oh man, what's the guy who went to Bloomberg? Jason Schreier, like he was really good, but these these guys are just hacks now. You know, they're terrible. Well, it's an <laughs> interesting- hacks. Of course, if I say anything nasty, I'll get into all sorts of trouble. Well, this is it. We kind of need the anchor, the pivot, which no, 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 is Eric in the middle. <laughs> you do see journals or media or publications go through these different kind of ups and downs, very much dependent on, on the journalists that are there. Yeah, 100%. Imagine- VentureBeat without Dean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and VentureBeat does a great job because Dean is amazing. Like he's he's a genius, right? He's a genius. Uh, he's a little bit pompous, right? But and but but it, he has every right Quite to be. He's so, been doing this thing forever. Yeah. I mean, he's seen a lot. I mean, and also his yeah. work ethic is second to none. I've never seen somebody ch- churn out as much stuff as Dean does. A hundred percent. And and he has access, and he knows everybody, and he's a, he's a good guy, you know. And he was on the podcast actually once. So yeah, I mean, I, I look, yeah, I respect that what they do. I think. The leaders of Kotaku right now are just a bunch of, you know, I don't want to get political, but it's the it's the, the political bent on it is so bad and so like in, in everything that they do that it's no longer interesting, you know, from a gaming perspective. It's just nonsense. Do you find as well, and this is, I mean, I'm loving this. I mean, kind of notoriety is just kind of like multiplied by about a hundred times already and we're 50 minutes in, but I, and notoriety is obviously not what it's for. It's obviously just to make a point and like sort of get an opinion across. But do you find that people that you've spoken to on the podcast, like guests on Deconstructor of Fun, and also people you've seen and met in person, actually really appreciate being challenged on certain things they do, because I wonder whether or not in life in general, and I know for a fact, you know, I'm going to own up to this, I'm quite bad for this, you know, certain conversations can get a little bit safe, can get a little bit like, oh, you know, that's fine. I'll kind of let you posit that opinion and I'll kind of exist knowing that I don't agree hundred percent with that, but I'm just kind of going to let that float through. Do you find that people tend to really appreciate you challenging them on certain points, you know, agreeing with some things, but you know, not necessarily agreeing with others. And that kind of fosters a really secure and intelligent debate when it comes to meeting these people. Yeah. I mean, there's two sides to that. So like I have to unpack that a little bit. So on the podcast, we we basically take the easy route, right? We are basically just responding to news every week. So we don't have to create content necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like we just create content around the news. It's kind of a safe way of doing that. You know, I'm doing some interviews too, which give me a little bit of a different avenue to like kind of dig a little bit deeper. But because we're just doing news and responding to news, then it's, it's a little bit safer. We don't have to like really put our, but we put our opinion on the news, right? And so from the audience perspective, I think they love the hot takes, even if they disagree with me. And I get this feedback almost every time I meet people that are fans or of the podcast in general, is that 
you know, they say 80, I agree with 80 to 90% of what you're saying, but I still appreciate the fact that you give like your opinion on something, right? Regardless if I, I agree or not. So that, that, that's the feedback I get all the time. So that keeps me a little bit going. On the flip side, the companies don't like it at all right? Because I'm basically calling them out for, as liars, right? Most of the time, right? Apple and what they've been doing with their policies around privacy and around how they treat their publisher partners, they're horrific, horrific. And the store guys listen to the podcast, right? And they're not the ones that are setting policy. They're the executives or the six people, the you know, the Gestapo up at, at Apple who actually run that place, you know? I mean, they're just a tail wagging the dog, right? And so they hear what I'm saying and they're like, yeah, yeah, but the management guys are just like, uh, no, no. And so I've been tried to, I think almost canceled like two or three times by Apple over the years. They've been trying to get me out of whatever, trying to put pressure on people that hide, whatever. They're bad, bad actors in a lot of ways, in my opinion. And then the other thing is that like, I do think corporate PR uh, tries not to be controversial, right? By, by definition, they just don't want that kind of heat, similar to the Bungie story, right? Which I totally appreciate, right? And so Sometimes they don't like that. Oh, sorry. The one thing I wanted to say is also like what people do not appreciate. And this is one thing that I think people have commented a lot is that a lot of it's the personalities, right? John Riccatello at, at Unity. It's, you know, the CEO of EA, you know, it's what Frank likes to do at Zynga, right? Like these guys set the agendas, right? Yeah. And so understanding their perspective on things and then Wall Street's perspective that's putting pressure on them, like that's an angle that people don't see. And so they kind of like that angle. They don't like it and they like it, you know, because yeah. it is very, it's very gross and very like financial and very, you know, like. So you're very well set to take that position because you have been the man behind the man, so to speak. You know, you've been, you know, when you, you were very humble when you spoke about your background just then. But when you were at EA, you were doing a lot of work with Frank and, you know, you've developed policy with the C-suites of these large global enterprises. So you kind of know what happens in the boardrooms. You know the sort of discussions that are happening. Right. And and the personalities and how, how they approach things or how, you know, these type of megalomaniac narcissists that run com public companies, right, <laughs> act in a certain way, right? They, they have a completely different view of the world than someone that works on the line and is a product marketer, right? You know, it's like, it's a different thing. And I, I say this all the time in the podcast, and I want to be clear here, is that I could never do that job. I could never do that job because it's too political. Like I, understanding how everyone's kind of thinking about things and trying to maneuver around and navigate that crap, no way in God's <laughs> green earth. And you can ask Frank or anybody that I've worked with, they know I could never do this, right? But I can call it out, right? And just basically say that that's part of the consideration of how these decisions are made. I'll give you an example, just because it seems, you know, kind of like more far-fetched, but the, the CEO of EA, who I don't really respect from the perspective of strategy, he hates mobile, right? And so they've been flubbing around for mobile for the last decade because he freaking yeah. fundamentally does not like mobile, right? And so that's a pr big problem, right? And so they make finally do this investment with Jeff Karp and they buy glue and they fucking blow it, right? Because they don't know what they're doing and they don't have the resources dedicated to it. So this was always, I've been talking about this for like ever since I started the podcast, like, I, you know, EA Mobile is a joke because no one cares about it, right? And then when they do this huge acquisition, they lost like 50% of the value within six months. But, you know, that's what I do. That's my job is to figure that stuff out, like how how successful they could be. And well, you're advising a hedge, you know, you're, you're advising your hedge fund and, you know, it's kind of incumbent on you to sort of have your eye out for those, those kind of weaknesses. Do you think your opinion has ever affected the value of the stock that you kind of keep an eye on? 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. Right, because yeah, I have some big clients that trade in these names, and so basically, my my whole thing last year was long console, short mobile, and if you shorted App Love and Iron Source, Unity, Roblox. And, and you were long Activision, EA, Take-Two, although Take-Two took a hit recently because of mobile, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, because of Zynga, right? Yeah, you would have done fine. And that, like these big institutions own hundreds of millions and billions of dollars worth of stock, right? So yeah, yeah. that moves, it moves the market. It's a bit of a big pressure, isn't it? On you. For me? Yeah. No, I don't make the trades. I just give <laughs> my, my, my opinion. It's actually good. It keeps me, it keeps me, I can sleep at night, you know? <laughs> I mean... I feel like this is kind of a nice little kind of direction we're heading down as well in terms of like kind of having a bit of an opinion on, I mean, not just a bit of an opinion, by the way, I feel like, you know, that would be an understatement, which I'm loving this idea. And I, having listened to it, I know all about this, but I want the listeners to kind of get a bit more of an insight into Cress's Corner, right? So Cress's Corner is, you know, kind of an opinionated part of what the Constructor Fund does, what part of what you do. So tell us a little bit more about Cress's Corner. And also, in expanding about Cress's Corner, tell us something that I'm really excited to talk about, and it's kind of a bit of a first on the podcast, which is your mistrust of, of PR, of, <laughs> PR, of us, because we've okay. had guests come on who, you know, you know whether they believe it or not, and I'm, I mean, you know, the integrity of our guests is very important to me, I'm sure they have spoken the truth, they kind of really appreciate PR, they love they, they love PR. You know, fine. That's maybe a bit of a you know. A, well, that's a, a stretch. You talked yeah. to Caroline at the time, so there's a lot. Oh, of yeah. PR. Caroline was maybe the exception. Caroline's like <laughs> maybe not. Um, but you know, you you have a deep rooted mistrust of PR, which which I'm really keen to kind of explore and expand upon. Tell us a bit about that. Okay. Well, first of all, Cress's Corner is just an interview thing, and so like I'm trying to find companies that I'm interested in and learning about back to the original kind of point where you just got to stay frosty and understand what's going on out there as the world has gotten a lot more complicated around games. Cause there's just so many different platforms and so many different things going on. It was much simpler 20 years ago when it was basically console PC, right? The, the more I have to learn. Right. And as, as, as an older person, you know, I, I I've been told many times never to say that you're old because that makes you old, but I, whatever. <laughs> I'm 51, 52. I'm out of the core demographic for console, so I'm old in my opinion. Um, I have to, I have to like stay frosty, and so that's why the crest is corner thing. All right, for PR, okay. Here's my thing with PR. I have a love hate relationship with PR because fundamentally, the reason that I'm good at my job is because I take what PR people say and I say this is bullshit and this is not bullshit. Right. My whole job for the last 20 years, uh, covering video games for investors in particular, is basically to dissect what investor relations, corporate PR and product PR people are saying and saying they are so full of shit that this is never going to happen. And so being able to discern that actually makes my clients money. So in essence, you guys have created my career or, or helped me be better at my career. So I appreciate that. All right. <laughs> my, 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 yes, thank you. Um, so my first introduction of PR was, I was doing product marketing for a game called Black back in the day with this guy, Bryce Bear, by the way, who I think is still the best PR person in the video game business. Although I don't think he works in the video game business anymore, uh, but he is amazing. So this is how it's like kind of introduced to how PR works from a product perspective. And basically we were trying to create a narrative around a new IP. And so we started from scratch, right? And, and PR is a huge tool in that to create both brand awareness, which was important because it's a new IP, but also purchase intent, right? But I also discovered like the evils of PR in the process, right? Because 
What I realized was that they were leveraging the outlets and they had leverage over them. Sorry, they were using the outlets and they had leverage over them to create the narrative around this game. So there was always this horse trading going on about placement for exclusivity, you know, there's advertising revenue on the side, you know, there's better coverage on other things. And like, so there's this, all this like things going on behind the scenes to basically create the narrative that the publisher wants. So fundamentally, it wasn't the actual outlets writing the narrative. It was the PR departments and the marketing departments from the companies. And I just like, it's just gross, you know, like, it, it, and even, you know, the, the reviews were impacted by all this stuff too. And like, this was going on all around the scene. So I kind of realized that it was kind of a bunch of bullshit, right? Uh, at the end of the day. And, and these narratives were written out just so that you could help sell products, right? And so th that was kind of my first real like exposure to PR and what it means. Now that was during the product side, but when I went to the investment side, then it was the IR and corporate yeah. PR departments that were really at fault here. And there are so many stories that I could tell about how these guys completely screwed over the company or screwed over the investors, actually, I would say, by misrepresenting either product, strategy, acquisitions, like everything they say is based on half-truths or an intention to mislead. Inference. And inference, yes. And actually, the better they are, the better they are at managing those expectations around them. And so... A lot of my job is basically to look at these type of documents or, you know, what they write, you know, the investor calls every quarter and just basically figure out what it makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Right. And as I said earlier, it's like, you guys have basically created my job in, in some ways. And so, you know, that's kind of where I am. And so my, my latest absolute, like just frustration is this whole Activision acquisition from Microsoft, Microsoft and all the PR and, and bullshit that's going around that. And yeah, that this makes is... sense. Oh, no, it does. It makes complete sense. And and I think obviously, like, it's really interesting because we're kind of, I wouldn't necessarily even two sides of a coin because I think, you know, uh, Jackie and I have been speaking in the build up to this uh, recording about, you know, how Jackie and myself, in fact, like agree with a lot of what you're putting out there in terms of this kind of PR landscape. And actually, you know, Jackie has already said, and I'm still naught for 21 on swearing on the podcast and i feel like today might be might I'm be the day i fall over yeah, I, 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 yeah. and i'm, I'm dragging, dragging you down with me i'm dragging <laughs> you down with me to the depths you know? and unfortunately i can i can you know i can go bs you know what i mean that's okay <laughs> I, don't, I, I get very frustrated and i think i've said this to you already eric i get really frustrated about the fact that people put pr in this bucket of spin basically and and you know like prospective clients come to me and I'm in the very lucky situation that I do turn away most of the people that come to me I and I do sack clients and I do stop working with clients when they just say to me hey you know you can just pick up the phone and talk to your mate talk to Dean at VentureBeat he'll write about it you know him and it's like no unless it's a story that is important and interesting to that journalist I'm not going to just pick up the phone and say hey mate write about this and that's one side of things, that sort of alleged black book of contacts that you would use. And the, the second one is spinning stuff that is not the truth. I have caused internal battles with people. They used to call me the Burlington bomber in my last PR agency because I used to come across from this is an American agency. And I used to fly over once a month to New York, spend a week in New York and drop a load of bombs and fly out again. <laughs> And they just didn't like it. And they used to call me the Burlington. Oh, my God, she's coming in. She's going to drop the bombs. And it was the same kind of argument about the kind of 
corporate spin that you have. And the thing is, I do actually understand and appreciate, as you do, Eric, the need to protect your company and your employees and the products you're building or the services that you're supplying. But there is a line between Mm. truth and false. And I try to make sure that I know that that line is very distinct. And a lot of people make that line a little bit blurred and infer things and sometimes just lie. And that's that's where I do not tread. It's such a complicated topic. And I actually, I have so many questions about this that maybe, you know, off, <laughs> off topic, but I mean, is this like, a, do you think this has gotten worse or better with social media? Like, I mean, with, with the modern landscape, like before, sorry, just so, we, so before all the social media stuff and the internet happened, I mean, I, I, I'm not that old, but I'm close, right? Like it was basically between the publishers and the outlets, right? Like, and, and, and that was it. Like there was no like websites and enthusiast people like writing things and blogging and all that other stuff. So do you think it was easier to spin or, or is it? Yeah. Harder to spin or like what, what you, has it gotten worse or better? I think it was years ago when it was only print publications, bit of broadcast, bit of radio. I think it was all about who you know. It was about that black book when as being a PR person, right. a senior PR person. It was who you knew at the post, who you knew at the Times. I was working for GE and, you know, reporting to Beth Comstock with a bunch of folk at my American agency, Peppercom. And, you know, it was all about knowing the right people in the right journals. And I would say, without doubt, it was easier then to spin than it is now. I would say now you have more outlets to be able to use that wonderful Google algorithm and just fill up the web searches with a propaganda. So it's, I mean, it's a completely different landscape now to how it used to be. It was quite purist before, but now it's, you're utilizing technology as well as your messaging. There's a lot more stuff that goes on on the PR and communication side than ever did before. It's much busier. Let me give you a specific example, because we could talk about Microsoft and Activision in a minute, but the one story that was really good for me because I made a great call on the stock, frankly, is the CD Projekt thing, right? CD Projekt is a Polish developer that makes Witcher, which is an absolutely amazing game. They're an amazing developer and they're like the darlings of, of Poland in general, in terms of a company. And, the, and their executives are like rock stars, absolute rock stars. They're like royalty in Poland, right? This is all related to PR and IR, generally speaking, is that they were coming out with this new game called Cyberpunk in uh, 2020, right? And they got so caught up in the spin cycle of pumping up this game that they made this thing bigger than it could ever be, right? And so they had the company, and this is IR people putting pressure, PR putting pressure saying, this thing could do 50 million. This is the next GTA, right? And I'm sitting there like, I've been in this business for 25 years. There's no effing way that this game could do more than 25 million units, period, end of sentence. It's gonna be an amazing game but the genre is wrong. The location is wrong. The technology is bad. It's old tech. It doesn't work well on consoles. It's a PC based company. Like there's so many reasons that this thing could fail, but the PR and the IR departments of that firm just were not sophisticated. And the execs in general, were not sophisticated enough to manage this beast, this communication. Yeah. The beast. And it it just got, got away from them. And so the thing came out and it fucking bombed. Right. And not only did it bomb, it didn't even work on the current gen consoles. And it was actually pulled. So yeah, it pulled from the PlayStation store. Now, 
I never predicted that it was going to get pulled from the PlayStation Store. That was ridiculous. But you could hear me on the podcast yeah, yeah, ago yeah. talking about this, right? And so like, that's an example of real material harm that was created by IR and PR departments not managing the message, right? And bullshitting. Being swept away by their own PR in yeah. a way. And I've yeah. seen yeah. that happen and you must have seen this happen. Have people believing their own PR and getting ahead of themselves and above themselves and then coming to a horrible crash. And that's something I really am passionate about stopping my clients because I've seen so many of my clients do so well, especially in this industry, which is very small at the end of the day, the video games industry, pretty much everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So, you know, you can be caught in a lie very easily and you can be caught tripping over yourself. And that CD project is a really good point of like getting totally carried away with the timing of everything as well, because it's perfect timing for them to hype that. Every, everybody was on a riding, you know, a wonderful roller coaster at the time. So I think you're absolutely right. And it has done material harm. And that's rubbish, basically. I'm trying to think of a yeah. better yeah. The major consoles fell into, fell into the trap as well, didn't they? Because then when it did bomb completely and it came out and was basically unplayable in the first sort of two or three weeks of release, because they'd been swept up in that kind of PR positivity, that positive storm of PR that CD Projekt had created, they then crisis managed it semi-badly because they were trying to compensate consumers who'd pre-ordered it and like sort of thrown everything into it because they were so desperately trying to achieve those sort of unit sales that you know those figures that it was then sort of managed really poorly when it did bomb because they they didn't have anything ready they weren't prepared for it to not go well so yeah i completely i completely take that example i think it's a brilliant one and, and, uh, and to be clear i mean a lot of it rests upon the executives as well right but they but the big pr ir guys need to be in charge of managing this is another thing i mean you know we we've talked about this quite at length in our previous pods because we are all about PR and the rest is PR but we loop everything else into it and I do think again it's very difficult sometimes particularly in those larger organizations for PRs to push back and say I don't feel good with this because it's it is almost the directive you either do as I say or jog on you know move on if you're not going to do as we say and a lot of people don't feel confident enough to basically say no. No, and and that, that's part of the reason I said these guys are rock stars in Poland, right? Because yeah, their word is law, right? So you know, a lot of it rests with them as well. But it, it's just one of those big examples, and it was such so egregiously failed, <laughs> so bad. It was that, such uh, a shame as well. I was so looking yeah. forward to that game yeah. that came out. <laughs> and, the game, and, and to be clear, the game was actually really good on PC. I mean, actually, the game itself wasn't as good as people wanted it to be, but it yeah. played really well on PC. And so that was the place to play it. So now they've moved on, and 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 I think they'll be fine, and they're going to come out with the next Witcher, and it's going to be on Unreal now, and they're not using their old tech. And like yeah. a lot of the issues that came manifested themselves are being corrected as we speak, but it's going to be three or four years, and the stock is down like, you know, 80 percent or something crazy (laughs) that's a really good example of like people believing their own hype and really pushing forward and taking advantage of the great swell of popularity behind them and i'm going to do a segue to um phil spencer because this is a man who had the real kind of goodwill of the industry yeah i think so I think people love him. He's beloved. He's a beloved character in this gaming industry. I don't know. What do you want to call it? Soap opera, I suppose, you know, between the Microsoft and Sony and and all this stuff. And the Game Pass is a very, very great consumer benefit 
Yeah. And so that's why this frustrates me more than anything, because they're basically using his stature in the industry and his their goodwill that we have. And he's just up there saying stuff that makes no freaking sense. And all it is, is to get this deal done. And I understand they want to get this deal done, this deal to buy Activision. They really want to get this deal done. But I don't want to say, I want to say, I was going to say a bad word, but like, I think they're just using him and using that goodwill in order to make this happen. And it just kind of makes me a little bit sick to my stomach every time I listen to it and, and hear the things that he's saying, which I know he doesn't believe, you know, that have been written by IR and PR and lawyers, right? That are trying to get this done and, and, and do different things. And so it's a very, very complicated subject. And, and unfortunately, I'm not, we're not going to do it justice. We won't do it justice, but I think the interesting thing um, from a PR standpoint is having a great spokesperson with great credibility, who's beloved by an industry, and that's your ace card. And it's using that ace card the right way. And I have this horrible feeling that this is going to backfire on him and damage his credibility, and therefore that's him done. Now, whether he cares about that or not, I don't know. But it's a bit like, you know, when John Brutitello came out with the Ugh. terrible comment that he made. And oh, I my Lord. Right about that. I mean, John, actually, John Brutitello is a perfect example of IR and PR not doing their jobs. Like the things that some of the things he says, forget that one comment, which I was, was just egregiously bad. Just this whole spin on his business has been this complete nonsense since day one, right? You listen to the pitch on his IPO. And it's like, none of that stuff is real. It's just, it's, it's complete <laughs> fabrications of reality, right? And and I love JR, I, I work with JR and I think he's a brilliant I sales guy he and, he, and he's great. But it's like, people should be able to pick that apart like easily, like what he's saying. Like his notion that the Unity engine is going to be in every industry known to man, like everyone's going to want 3D interactive engines in their business is just preposterous right the only reason it makes sense is with video games right i mean like interactive industries right so like that whole thesis around his core business didn't make sense from the get-go but people just i think they were worth like 60 70 billion dollars at one point it's like lunacy you know and so that was like an easy one to pick apart and i and i respect john because i think he's really good at that sort of thing but it's just yeah it, 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 it's just gross you know but anyway sorry that was a whole no, 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 I, no, that's I, a I, great I, example everything that those guys did unity in some ways you have to like applaud the audacity of the pr and ir and john in what they proposed to do they completely fleece the entire investment community and made people believe that this was a software as a service, that these revenue streams were software as a service, and that they had this unlimited total addressable market with their their engine, which is an amazing engine, by the way, but it has nothing to do with healthcare. It has nothing to do with anything (laughs) but video games. So anyway, sorry, that's a whole other thing. Never apologize. Never apologize for this. This is pure gold. I'm so, I think you're right. I mean, it's like a really interesting question to kind of like move on from that as well is, but not even move on. It's like kind of in the same quantum, quantum, if you use quantum again, here we go. go. It's in the same, in the same range is this idea. I mean, you asked the question of Jackie already, this idea that, you know, way back when, when PR and IR were, you know, sort of. They were actually very separate in when I started out. I was over there. PR was over there. AR was over there, you know, and the three never really talked to each other that much. Exactly. But now with advancements in technology and social media and all sorts of different platforms that you can do these things, everything's come closer together. And when we were kind of corresponding 
Eric, you and I, before we did this recording today, this idea of to what extent, if you take Microsoft's acquisition of Activision as an example, a lot of the stuff they're putting out there isn't necessarily false, but it's also 100% not true either. And they're really right. kind of manipulating that. And I suppose like, what's your take on that? What's, what, you know, what's your theory on that? Yeah. And so like, okay, so basically it all comes down to basically Call of Duty. When push comes to sub, it's about Call of Duty. Call yeah. of Duty is the biggest game in this business on console. Right. And it's I mean, literally the biggest game for the last decade has been Call of Duty. And, and it's also a software as a service that lasts throughout the years. So they want to add that to Xbox live services. Right. Their, their subscription business. Right. Because that is an evergreen title that they can rely on in terms of engagement and keep that subscription going. That's the only reason they're doing this acquisition, right? Really. I mean, having the Blizzard products is great. There's other things that they do that are good. But like, ultimately, it's that's the crown jewel, right? And so they came out really early, basically saying that they would not do a, an exclusive Call of Duty on Microsoft, that they would allow it on PlayStation platforms, yeah. which was always not true, in my <laughs> opinion, right? I think yeah. they were always planning on eventually phasing out PlayStation. There's no reason to buy this <laughs> company for $70 billion dollars unless you have Call of Duty exclusivity on your platform, right? So I, the, again, this gets really complicated really quickly, but fundamentally the, the quotes that we see from Phil Spencer about this are just complete like mistruths or misdirections. Do you think he believes it? You say you don't think he believes it. You think no, I don't think he believes any of this stuff. Like I, I think the latest press release is the one that got me the most, right? So here are the four points he made. I'm trying to find it now. Is that, first of all, he says that Game Pass is profitable, right? Which is no way. Like no way is Game Pass profitable in terms of if you put the PL together in which you put the development costs. Oh, and, right. and, yeah. And, it's and, the, way and they, revenue. It's the way they slice and dice the PL. Fine. Yeah. yeah. Only a publicly traded company can slice and dice the way they did on this. It's just bullshit, you know, 100% bullshit. Then they say Game Pass has saturated the console market, right? That and, and that all the growth is on mobile. And then on top of that, we have to raise prices. Raising prices is inevitable, right? And then the final thing is that Microsoft really cares about mobile. Like all these things are lies, right? Really, honestly, <laughs> all these are lies. First of all, Phil Spencer has never given a shit about mobile ever, right? I mean, ever, <laughs> right? I, he doesn't know anything about mobile. He doesn't know, none of these companies know anything about mobile. Hell, even Sony just started their mobile division like last year, right? No one cares about mobile, all right? GameStop is profitable, lies. No way, not happening, right? Now, this is the thing that kills me. So Game Pass has saturated the console market. There's no more growth in the console market. So why would you buy Call of Duty, right? <laughs> Call of Duty, why would you buy Activision if you think it's saturated? Like you have no market share to gain. That doesn't even make sense. And then all this growth is on mobile, right? Lies, right? Because these games that he's buying, the whole service that he has for Game Pass has nothing to do with mobile. Like you're not going to be playing these games on mobile like you know like streaming or whatever they, they're talking about this is not true and then finally if you are profitable why would you be raising prices if you you are saturated the market and you're profitable you would reduce prices so that you grow you know uh, your share of the market right that doesn't even make sense so i can just tell and and i don't know phil very well but i know him from people that know him and like i just think he's just being shoved this crap from their pr and ir departments and the bankers and the lawyers and the, all the people that are trying to get this deal done so they don't have to pay this $4 billion if they, the deal doesn't go through. This is why I think this goes through, because mm. in the old days, if you were presenting this kind of stuff to the tech industry, which is where I come from, 
you would have real proper editors coming to you and interrogating these kind of statements, just like you are interviewing and saying, no, 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 no. What, what's this? What's this? What's this? Nowadays, because of the media landscape, and this is this is an issue that is exploited a lot. Everything's 24-7, which means everything's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Everything's more news-based, a lot less opinion-led. And a lot of stuff that the bigger companies like Microsoft, like Sony, put out are just taken as read. Yes. They think that because it's been through their legal and they've been able to spout it out to the press and it's gone on the on the press wire, that means it's right. And that is what has gone wrong with the industry that we're in today. Exactly. And that's what drives me crazy. So you have to ask yourself, why are they doing this? Why are they throwing out lies like this? And, and, and the fundamental thing they're trying to do is they're trying to redefine what the market is, right? And in Western law, like that's why the US government really has no teeth here because there's just no way they can block an acquisition like this because it's kind of a vertical integration, which is whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. In the UK and the EU, they actually can block this because it's a little bit more arbitrary. It's not based on precedent, right? So they can get a bee in their bonnet and not want this deal to happen and they can make it not happen, right? And mm. so what I think is going to happen, I think I disagree with you on this one, is that the UK is basically going to say, the people that are really want this thing not to happen, they're going to basically say, look, even the FTC in the US doesn't want this to happen. You know, I'm not, we're not crazy. Let's like make this not happen. Okay, so here's my take on it as a step back, because I'm not a legal person. I don't know anything about the law. I'm just listening to other people talk about it. So why I think this is a really bad deal for the game industry is it creates too much concentration of power on this market. And the reason this is, is because the market from console gaming is very, very finite. It is not a mass total addressable market. It is basically 140 million people in the Western world and some in Japan that yeah. play console games. And that's yeah. the way the business has been for like my 20 years here. Like in the last 15 years, it hasn't grown at all. It just People have monetized better. And so in that market, if you define it that way, and that's why they're saying all this shit to not define it that way, this is a terrible acquisition, right? Because all that market share is being swallowed up by one company, right? And, and, and that much power. And so that's not good. That's not good for Sony. It's not good for EA. It's not good for Take-Two, Ubisoft, all these guys and people I talk to anyway, don't want this deal to happen anyway, right? Because they do think the concentration is not good. So that is why they're making all these lies is basically to define the market, not as just console, this 140 million people, but mobile, you know, streaming, subscription, you know, they'll bring in Netflix next, you know, and like say like that, that has some like bearing in this. And, uh, and so that's why they're doing it. And it's really interesting how the corporate wheels work, you know, with all the advertising and the unions getting involved and all that stuff. Oh. You know, oh, that's the latest thing. Them yeah. supporting all this union shit. Like, do yeah. you think that's really a corporate agenda piece for them? No, it's no. basically to make nice, nice. That, the, that, it's that's totally almost to make nice it's, it's watch like, words to get it through, isn't it? It's watch words. It's keywords to get it through. Yeah. That's it. It's true. But the, this is the thing. In the olden days, when we did have the key publications, people like you would be holding them to account. They have nobody that holds them to account now. So whether they're telling lies or not, there is nobody there to kind of go, hello, no, I don't agree with this. And yeah. this, is, sorry, a little segue through to Web3. This is why I kind of like Web3 because everybody's going a little bit anarchic out there and everybody's sort of saying what they want to say. And blah, 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 blah. and it's a, nascent, it's a nascent time. But for right now, with Web2 publishing as media in terms of 
thought leadership and in terms of real opinion from people. There's only a very few people in the media world who take people to task. Yeah. And that's where I'll start kind of, I don't want to pick on Dean, but like, you know, TechCrunch and these other guys. At the end of the day, they just write about deals. They just write about money. They're more interested in money than anything else. You know, it's just wheels of commerce. Yeah, but VentureBeat, I mean, all these outlets that are actually reputable, that have actual staff members that are good at what they do, like these are the companies that need, they need to come after these guys and just say, look, this doesn't make sense. Like, but they don't, it doesn't seem like they're doing that. I think that. there's a they're, bit they're... of that in gamesindustry.biz. I kind of, you know, I do. Yeah, a little, bit, have, a little bit. I think gamesindustry.biz do do that. I do think VentureBeat to an extent does that. But let's talk about the thorny issue here. Let's talk about, and you don't do this on Deconstructor Fund, which is why I love the podcast, is you're not influenced wholly by your sponsors. You do have your sponsors, but you do say things that aren't necessarily positive about them. <laughs> yeah, I lost a sponsor because I said stuff about... Yeah, that's their choice. <laughs> Iron Source. There you go. Yeah, there you go. I said, well, well, when Unity acquired Iron Source, I said it was like two drunks holding each other up. <laughs> because... <laughs> They're so hosed, both of them, that it oh just, that's gosh. the only way it made sense. And so they had like, and they left. Hands. That, that shocks me. I mean, no, <laughs> I know. Know. they had it all hit. But I think it was, I also further said that they're going to lay off a ton of people because that's the only way they can justify it. You know, the cost savings of 300 million, like, yeah. And then like a lot of the, uh, I said a lot of the engineers would leave. I think those two comments make it made it a little bit more painful for them. Look, I mean, that business is so so fucked right now that, excuse my language, sorry, but they're so screwed right now that I don't know what they're going to do. Like, it's impossible. So I, I'll stand by what I said. But <laughs> Iron, I love Ironslurs, though. The guys were so nice to us and they were so, such. A, they were sponsored from the very beginning, you know? And so I, I felt bad, but not really. I worked with some ex-Ironsource guys. They're so smart from Odeo. Oh my God, they're, they're brilliant. Yeah. So smart. Yeah, so we were talking about being held to account and you're saying about the, you know, the right level of journalism and deconstruction funding where I was getting to was with this whole sponsorship thing is that the publications now are much more. And this is something that I find in my job are much more held up by advertorials, promotions, sponsored content than they ever were by advertising. You know, back in the day, advertising was a great fuel for publications, but now it's not. Now everybody wants to influence editorial and i find that quite troubling as well and i'm hoping that there are a few more maverick publications like metacrunch for example who just have no sponsors and can say what they like and they might be wrong they might be right but at least it makes life a little bit more challenging for the prs to sell a story and be interrogated on that story so i sell stories into the times i sell them into the post and I get interrogated by good journalists there and sort yeah. of making a cry out to our industry. Now we're a big industry, $250 billion industry, and only a few people you can name on one, maybe two hands, good journalists in this industry. Yeah, no, I agree. I, That's it's hard. Indeed. But the yeah. problem for them is that they can't. So I'm not going to say a name. But there's a lady who I hope is listening to this, who's a great journalist, who's had to leave and join a marketing team in our industry, in the games industry, because she can't sustain herself. She cannot sustain herself on a journalist salary. And this is the big problem that the wheels aren't going towards or the wheels of commerce aren't going towards helping independent, critical eyes. And that's where it gets above my pay grade, right? 
you know who know you know like it's like the the future of pr the future of journalism like that's when it gets a little bit you know and the a little bit too heavy you know. a little heady for my my sake but that feeds your pay because you're just gonna <laughs> be going through this quagmire of seo material and going that's bullshit that's right that's exactly right. <laughs> exactly it'll keep me it'll keep me in, in, in employed for quite a while right for the rest of my career I don't think there's any danger of of that being a problem over the next few years. And and Eric, just to close this off, I just want to say thank you so so much for being on the podcast. I, my understanding, my loose understanding of time difference and time zones has it at about nine thirty over where you are in San Francisco. Am I right in saying that? Hopefully, time for a coffee. Right. Uh, time for a coffee and um, <laughs> time. Honestly, speaking of things, thank you so much. This has been one of my favorites you say that every time, no man. i know we say that but like honestly <laughs> i've just sat back and i've just been like i've had to sort of occasionally mute myself because i'm laughing so much i absolutely <laughs> adored that and it goes without saying this has become a little bit of a thing we do on the podcast um phil spencer uh, if you're listening and i know you are phil i know you're out there listening uh, i know this is <laughs> yeah. like honestly his, his people are listening yeah. this is one of your favorite ones i know it i know it you are regular listeners come, come on phil come on honestly yeah come on i'd love to have you on the podcast we would love to have you on the podcast maybe we'll get eric back as well and we can and we can have four of us on the podcast but also my final salvo is this you know if it does go through and that's sort of still up in the air call g keep it on playstation that's all I'll say. Keep it on PlayStation. <laughs> I want it on PlayStation. Play Call of Duty a lot ever since my youth. Um, but Eric, thank you so much. We've covered so much there and it really, really means a great deal. And if you want to catch more of what Eric's up to, then head over obviously to Gossamer Consulting Group, that website. Um, but also have a listen to Deconstructor of Fun, Cress's Corner. It is honestly absolutely brilliant. Yeah. It would not have gone on for over 200 episodes and for how many years it's gone on for if it was not an absolutely brilliant podcast and it really really is so yeah it's, the twig podcast is the one that we do every week so i, I really do suggest if you're interested in, in gaming to do this week in gaming every week well said yeah as well this week in gaming head over to the twig podcast as well we will as we always do with all of our guests link everything that we've mentioned in this episode of the podcast so the twig podcast deconstructor of fun eric's business well gossamer consulting group will link all of those things Hey, we may as well link a few articles as well about the main topic we've discussed was in this recording as well, because it's, if you are not up to date on this, it is really worth getting up to speed on it, researching it and, and having an opinion yourself and, and figuring things out for yourself. But Eric, once again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. T's and C's time, listeners. So if you want to find out a little bit more about the podcast, if you want to have a listen, head over to therestispr.com. That's where we're at. And it's being updated all the time. The wonderful Harry at Demoza keeps updating our website and it's uh, going from strength to strength. If you want to get in touch with us, it's info at therestispr.com or info at demozo.com. And speaking of Demozo, if you want to check out what Jackie, Daph and the team have been up to over Demozo, head over to demozo.com. Jackie, I was going to say same time next week, but it's kind of now becoming that we're recording so many times that same time next time? Yeah, same time next time. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> well, Eric, once again, you have been brilliant. Thank you so much. Do go and check Eric out on those podcasts we've just mentioned. And from Jackie, myself and Eric, it's bye for now. And we'll see you next time on another episode of The Rest is PR. Bye for now. Bye.